bits and pretzels inspire you. You will figure it out. This is clearly the place to be. Servus, everyone. I'm Britta Wedling, Editor-in-Chief of Bits and Pretzels, and you're listening to a new episode of our podcast. Today, I'm talking to Amal Sava in New York. Amal is the co-founder of US unicorn Notel, a flexible office platform and fiercest competitor of WeWork. While WeWork ran into serious problems, Notel only last year secured $400 million in funding. But business as usual is over. Notel's flex-based business has been hit by the coronavirus, which has left tenants unable to use their workspaces and prompted many to terminate their contracts. In our podcast, Amal shares very personal insights into how he's leading his company through a business shutdown. He also talked about how he prepared for the worst case by having to let half of its 400 employees around the world go as the company retools to survive the pandemic. It's hard, but I mean... Starting companies is hard. It's, it's every day is impossible when you're starting a business. And as, as the business gets bigger, you know, maybe it's not every day that you're about to die. I mean, it may feel easier over time. So that reassurance I can offer you, but it doesn't actually become easier. Nothing is easy. When you read stories about some startup overnight success, you never hear about the four years they were struggling before uh, anyone ever heard of them. Amal is a serial entrepreneur, born and raised in New York. Among others, he's the founder of mobile service companies Virgin Mobile USA and Peak. And for good or worse, all his companies were born in a crisis. Virgin Mobile USA started when the dot-com bubble collapsed. The day he launched the Peak email-only smartphone was the same day the Lehman Brothers collapsed. So he surely knows how to push through uncertain times. They go longer than you think, and they're more complex than you think. Many other factors are working, and some of them only show themselves a little later, a month later or six months later. Things that you thought were true uh, suddenly go backwards. By the way, please excuse the poor sound quality in parts of our conversation. Thanks to COVID-19, we ran into some logistic problems. But hang in there. It's worth it. Thanks, uh, Amal uh, Sava, for coming on the Bits and Pretzels podcast. Thanks for having me, Britta. It's a pleasure. Uh, so with Notel, uh, you built a unicorn for flexible workspace. You run office space in 70 cities all over the world, from New York, where your headquarters is, to London, to Berlin. And you traveled the world to, to build your business. So how does the situation uh, within your company look right now? And how do you run uh, your company right now during Corona times? It's an interesting time because our product is offices. We run workplaces for companies around the world and virtually all of them are closed for the last almost two months. Unusual uh, that you have a crisis where your products can't be used. But, um, you know, we serve these big companies and uh, it became very intense, actually, uh, as people were starting to do the shutdowns and starting to get concerned about health and safety in their offices during, during March. And um, while they have been closed for a while, most offices have someone going once in a while to do something. Uh, mm. And companies are planning to come back. You know, companies are right. starting to plan. Already in Germany, we're open. Uh, Paris this week. France is now starting to be open. And uh, 
slowly we will get back. And uh, that means a lot of work for us because we need to change the office. We have to redesign everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the office will be different. How does the situation uh, look like when we finally leave our apartments, like pale and scruffy after months at home? Uh, what will going back to work look like? Well, <clears throat> in the beginning, it will be slow. I think not everyone will go every day. The office will feel very strange because uh, most company leaders don't want everyone there. It's much better if we keep 20%, 30%. And uh, it'll be slow. Um, I think it'll be nice. We did survey a lot of our customers, and more than 80% are so eager to get back into the office. They're just really struggling at home, and they, uh, they, just, can't, uh, they just can't deal with it. But um, after that, we're going to have to redesign it. Uh, I think we'll have a permanent change. Uh, we'll never be back to the way it was, I don't think. It'll be different. So how do you think we have to redesign everything? I mean, including office space, surfaces, meeting rooms, um, introducing tracing or temperate, temperature checks? Yeah, all that kind of stuff. I mean, some of it is very obvious, and a lot of people have been talking about it, and of course we'll do that. Uh, relatively fewer people, fewer seats, things that are marked with spacing. Uh, there'll be more cleaning, and um, maybe some rotating schedule for folks, so you have the days that you go and I have the days that I go. Uh, right. Over time, I think the numbers will get higher, but also we have to redesign, which means we need we can't just put tape on a desk and say, don't sit on this desk. It'll It'll be... Uh, a new layout, more space between the desks. I'm not sure yet if we will have large conference rooms in the same way we had in the past. The attendance mm-hmm. will be smaller. There'll be more uh, rapid cleaning. But also there's some expensive and complicated things that have to happen. The, um, the actual design of the space needs to change. Uh, you need more private, small areas for one person to be separate from others. So there's been this trend of phone booths. I might have my own phone booth. You might have your own. We may not share them anymore. The ventilation and the airflow in the building really needs to be improved. Uh, it's one of the big differences between a hospital or an airport and an office building. We can't just keep recirculating the same air. We need a lot more fresh mm-hmm. air to come through. And, yeah, there's ultraviolet light. There's technologies for tracking who's coming and going um, and, uh, and some other technologies for measuring temperature. And, you know, maybe temperature is only a small piece of it. Uh, measuring oxygen in your blood. Uh, there's a thing called an ox- oximeter, uh, mm-hmm. which you can put on your finger, and maybe if everyone were able to check their, their oxygen levels, that's another clue on whether they might be infected, and, and certainly we need more testing. Yeah. So, so the office will become a small hospital then, or how can I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, not exactly a hospital, but I think right. the, the, the office already had some standards for fire safety, You know, you can only have so many people. Uh, and from time to time, they would test the fire alarm. And you remember from when you used to work in an office. And, uh, you know, now there's just another group of considerations that are important. After yeah. terrorism, you know, office changed a lot after terrorism. I mean, after 9-11, the security standards in all buildings, especially in New York, changed a lot. Uh, you can't just walk into a building. Well, now you can't just walk in without presenting your identity and maybe also some 
some other safety information. And I think many people in our audience are like really interested in, you know, how you look at this situation as a leader and how you run your company um, in, in this kind of situation where, you know, there are many uncertainties, uncertain future, customers don't know where to go. Yeah. You work with oil companies and technology yeah. companies. Well, I mean, the first just important thing to recognize is it is a health crisis, not just a business thing, you know, I mean, we were very concerned about our people and their health and safety, and we were very concerned about the um, health and safety of our customers. And there's a lot to do there. Um, and then, yeah, suddenly there's a big economic crisis that's happening now, and it will continue for some time. It will be a very difficult situation, I think. Uh, and that's really hard. Uh, it is uh, in any business. I mean, some businesses might be feeling lucky because they're selling more than they ever sold, but they're selling right. their online stuff into a world of huge uncertainty. Their customers may or may not be safe. And who knows what will happen to demand in two months or in six months right. with the economy changing. It's a very challenging environment. And uh, you as a company, you announced you had to, to do layoffs. Um, and I think that's also true for many other startups and, and companies. So, so how, I mean, how do you think about this as a leader in terms of how to keep up morality or like to motivate people um, in, in this situation? What do you think other startup leaders in a similar situation can, can take away from that? I mean, we, we were, took a very cautious position. Uh, we cut our cost a lot. Um, we decided to ignore some of the comments from some of the governments, which are a little too optimistic. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did it for a reason. And the reason is that by doing that, we could be very confident that the business will be strong. And however bad the global economy turns, we will survive and be in a strong position uh, when all of this is over. And all of this will be over. And I guess that that, that is what what people, you know, it's a purpose. Um, we're, uh, we're trying to do something. And sometimes you're trying to do it when everything is easy. Sometimes you're doing it with a, a big, huge competitor who's coming after you every day. And uh, I guess other times it's when the, the economy is facing a very unusual problem. Right. But we're doing something that, that we think will will really help. I mean, it's helping our companies now. And these are companies that are trying to do the good work of our society. Uh, it's helping them now by giving them flexibility. And uh, it is a, a valuable and resilient business. And, well, when we're, when we're through all this, we think our, our product will be even more clear. Its value is so clear now. We'll never have to explain why flexibility is valuable because there was a day right. when suddenly all the offices closed and another day when they all opened again. It's uh, so clear why Notel is valuable to, to its customers. And, and I think also that in these kind of, of situations, you can realize whether you have a strong company and, you know, strong colleagues around you, a strong co-founder or like a very reliable investor or not. So this is like really time of, of clarity for for many, for many people in, in the startup ecosystem, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think it's very true what you say. Um, we have seen our people doing some of the best work they've ever done, working mm -hmm. together with so much clarity of purpose, and I quite admire my colleagues. Um, and it's true, yeah, it can really, 
it can really be a clarifying moment. You also uh, showed like a, like a very strong leadership in this uh, crisis. A couple of weeks ago, uh, you posted a text called Nodal's New Plan for Extraordinary Times, uh, where you announced that you yourself would take a 50% pay cut uh, for the foreseeable future as well as other parts of, of your management. What, what brought you to that conclusion? Well, listen, I mean, we said goodbye to many of our colleagues uh, as part of reducing our cost. Um, some of these people were, were terrific. I mean, these are people that we had recruited and asked to come to our company. And we're all going to be working so, so hard for a while as a result of that. And uh, I thought the least I can do is, is, is try to match that sacrifice uh, that, that my colleagues are all making uh, by redoubling their efforts. Uh, it's yep. just a small thing, but not everybody would do that. Obviously, um, that's that's also that's also true. I, I guess. So you mentioned that you wanted to change your company and your business model uh, moving forward. Uh, how 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 do you think about this kind of of pivot and where you want to go? Yeah, well, I mean, in these moments of change, uh, you can move closer to where you were going in the first place. And where we were going uh, was a world where companies could work uh, with us and, and very easily manage the environments that their people are, are in. I mean, their people are so important. They're the most valuable asset. And you put these people in a place, it's a big expense for the company. It's very complicated. They try to do a good job, but then it's hard for them. And that was always the service we provided. And now we see so clearly how how different the world is. And I think it's going to accelerate um, their adoption of flex. I think companies will be less likely to make big bets in the future. But it's also true in the real estate industry generally. The real estate industry is not a fast-changing industry. Mm. Um, you know, we've been working for, for four and a half years to build our company. And, you know, we have five million square feet, which maybe sounds like a lot, but it's really nothing. It's a tiny, tiny piece of the real estate industry in the 10 countries that we operate. Mm -hmm. So it's a very long story. But at this moment, actually, the same way companies are, are facing lots of adversity and a lot of change, I think our partners, the owners of, of the buildings, um, these guys are now also facing a lot of adversity and a lot of uncertainty. And they're seeing more clearly why a partnership with us was a good idea, why flexibility mm -hmm. is valuable to the users of the space and what we actually do for them and how we will help their buildings survive and, and be profitable over time. So I think it's going to accelerate the change, and, and that's what I mean. So we, we were moving at a certain certain pace, certain steps, step one, step two. Well, I think we're going to take 10 steps over these mm -hmm. next few months uh, and emerge closer to the vision we always had. What I was thinking, what I found interesting is um, right now with remote work being all around, you don't have to probably have all your employees in, you know, in your headquarter in very expensive New York or in your headquarter in very expensive San Francisco or Berlin or London, you name it. Do, do you think it will also change the structure of these tech companies? Um, for sure. I mean, companies are now more comfortable than they ever were with remote workers and with work from home. Mm -hmm. um, but it has also reminded them more than ever that the office is a valuable thing where people come together and figure things out. Um, so there will be a big change. Uh, I think they still have a priority on the big cities in the world but they have less priority on having everybody in exactly one building all on one day. 
there will be a lot of hybrid and mixed different ways people are working together. But it's also important to remember, if half the people are coming in, that's good. Because we now need twice as much space per person mm-hmm. in order to keep these places safe. It may be that companies end up with more office space than they had before. Interesting. Even though on any given day, only half the people are in the main office. You might have another Mm -hmm. office in the outer part of the city and another one in the downtown and another one in the uptown because you don't want everyone in one place. So so how does this relation between being like physically working together versus working digitally uh, digitally together, how, how do you think this will look like in, in the future? Which will be more? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think six months ago, we were already working in a hybrid way. If I went to a meeting in my office with five people, one or two of them was already on video or on the phone almost every time. It was very rare that I had every one of the participants in the meeting sitting there with me. It had already mm-hmm. become rare. And if that meant that 80% of the people were in person, but next year at this time, 50% of the people are in person, I think we already know how to do it. I think we already know Mm -hmm. how to do it. We're moving along a curve. And it also, like, while it is a big change, I mean, office changes every few years. You know, you used to have an office where you closed the door, and then you had an office with those cubicle walls around you, and then you had Mm -hmm. an office with no space at all, and then you had an office where you sat on a couch all day, and then... You had an office yeah. at home, and then you have an office. I mean, it just changes because people change. This is yeah. going to be a big change, uh, and we'll deal with it. But we always had table tennis, at least in some of the standards. <laughs> <laughs> as, uh, as, a, as, a, as a standard. So now I want to invite you to join me in a virtual beer garden break. Uh, and even in these difficult times, uh, we want to move over uh, to our virtual beer garden bench to have a virtual beer together so we can talk about more personal stuff. And uh, now we have to say cheers. Cheers to, to New York. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Uh, so you were born and raised in New York, and you had successfully built several companies over the last 20 years, including Virgin Mobile. You created the Peak device. You invented the Brain computer interface, and you started Notel. And you also built your own building in Long Island. And uh, you had built, had to build all these businesses in various prices. Um, so, so talk about why this happened and how you experienced uh, this. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I guess... Um Over the years, I have seen these things. When we were starting Virgin Mobile, the dot-com bubble was collapsing uh, just within a few months, and and we survived, and we made a big business. The day that we launched our smartphone uh, when I was building this company called Peak, that was the same day that Lehman Brothers collapsed, and the financial crisis got really intense in 2008. And so, yeah, I've seen these things before. I mean, they're they're all a little bit different, and um, it's hard. Um, but I mean, starting companies is hard. It's, it's right. every day is impossible when you're starting a business. And as, as the business gets bigger, you know, maybe it's not every day that you're about to die, but on the first day of a startup, you know, that's also your last day, unless you get lucky. <laughs> and once you get bigger, maybe you can see a year into the future or something, but as you do it again and again and again, I mean, this sort of thing is, uh, unfortunately, I mean, it may feel easier over time, so that reassurance I can offer you, 
but it doesn't actually become easier. Nothing is easy. When you read stories about some startup overnight success, you never hear about the four years they were struggling before uh, anyone ever heard of them. So it's like this common theme that you were always looking for the next change and wanted to define the product for this change, kind of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When something is changing, it, it's tricky to know uh, how big a change it will be, what direction will it take. I mean, when we were getting started, there was all this co-working stuff and it seemed like some big exciting trend. Wow, We work obviously made a big headlines. They were already big at that time. I mean, four years ago, WeWork was already one of the most valuable private companies and uh, co-working looked like a big revolution. But I was looking at it and I thought, well, hmm, what's the change here? Is the change that everyone will one day work in a little two-person office and have a beer keg outside. I mean, it is fun, I guess, but is that really how everyone's going to work? And I thought, mm, there, there is something wrong. They have made a mistake, actually. Something is correct. Co-working is about having flexibility and easy kind of office. So you can have it all set up and someone manages for you. But it's not about changing from large companies to small companies. The world is more and more large companies. So it must be that there's something wrong in there. Maybe what's needed is to bring flexibility to the way that large companies do this thing. And that's, that's what we set out to do. What does it say about the future of work or the future of office rental that companies are looking into being like more flexible uh, when looking for office space or like when, you know, moving around, moving around stuff? growing, growing fast, then scaling back, as we can also see with one of the major companies right now, Uber, for example, letting a lot of people go. What does it say about the state of work that we see all these changing things and that we need all this flexibility that obviously your company is um, you know, giving people the opportunity to? Yeah, well, I think it says something we already know, that the world changes fast and it's getting faster. And People who lead companies uh, have less and less that they can predict far into the future while these companies are getting bigger. Um, you know, the, the biggest companies of today are bigger than they were in 1990 or 1970 because they're more global, they use more technology, but they're actually less in control of what's happening in five years to 10 years in the future. It's hard to know what kind of staff you'll need, how much staff. Everything has already been changing. I mean, it's not just office. Office is maybe the last thing to change. Uh, many, many, many companies are using cloud instead of data center. They're using performance marketing instead of long-term advertising purchases. That's had a big effect on media. They um, have outsourced groups that do call centers or engineering or R&D and quality. They have all kinds of different things are becoming these flexible platforms that companies use. And then companies sort of focus on what they might be good at. Office, weirdly, every company has an office. Every company is bad at managing office. It, it really should be done by someone else. Mm -hmm. Interesting. When you look at all the different ideas that you came up with and I think this is something entrepreneurs are very interested in. How did you find the next product or the next idea to work on? Did you just I don't know, walk around? Was it like kind of an intuition? Did you talk to other people? Did you go to conferences or how did you find the next idea to work on? There are a few ways of finding something good and finding something good is, is, is really just um, a process of being lucky. Part of being lucky is just pure 
luck. It's just pure chance. Fortune comes and visits you in you know, the language of Machiavelli. But there are ways to be more lucky. And that's one of them that's quite interesting. The, the line from, uh, I think it's Louis Pasteur, the French scientist, is that fortune favors the prepared mind. And that might be what you were describing. So you're at conferences, you're talking to people, you're fiddling around, you're a hobbyist. I mean, another example from, from England is Alexander Fleming, the guy who discovered penicillin. It wasn't pure, dumb luck. He was doing things. He was making things. He was wandering around in an area, fiddling around. His mind was ready. He had some experience. And then he noticed something strange. And it only made sense to him, this funny thing that he noticed. And he ends up discovering one of the most important drugs that, that has saved so many lives. And so, yeah, then you need some motion. You need some preparation. You need some just pure luck. And then you need some will to action. Uh, you need some, some, some conviction. It, to be lucky isn't just to notice something. Uh, but to build something on top of it. How do you move from the idea to actually setting things up? Do you have like friends in the rental space or do you know mm. people? How do you, how do you tackle that issue? Well, it's, it is definitely hard and New York might be the hardest place to start. Uh, but when you pick something hard, yeah, you got to go find what, what you have, what resources you might have. Um, in my, I mean, for example, real estate might seem weird, but we all use real estate. Every company I ever had, we had offices and I had to manage them and too big, too small. I live somewhere. I, my family has some experience with real estate. And then as we were getting started, I, yeah, I went to go ask people, learn, find out people I might know that might offer me some hints. And then I think the most important thing actually is when there's something big and complicated and hard. You have to find the part inside it that might be a bit easier. Uh, and, if, and if you're successful, perhaps at that easier one, if you've chosen the right thing, it might make the next step easier again and then the next step easier again. And, and you have to take a big problem, make parts out of it and choose the ones that have the, your best chance. Which one was that? Like the easier part? Like building community, building a platform for you coming from the entrepreneurial IT Uh, technology space? Well, there were different areas and, and the one that you were asking about is like, well, how would you convince any owner of a building to let you do this concept in your building? And for us, the, the beginning insight was all the buildings turn out to be owned by lots and lots of different people. The world of real estate has many, many different uh, owners of buildings. And while you do need to get a building, you only need one in the beginning. Then you can get five. And so we chose a certain type of owner. Um, there are these big giant companies, very bureaucratic, very difficult to deal with. And then you find a family that has one building. Maybe the, the, you know, the old man who used to manage it is getting a little old and his nephew isn't ready yet to take over the family business. And if you spend time with him and, and, and meet him and explain to him what you're doing, maybe after five meetings like that, you find one of the guys that says yes. And now you're in business. Now you have the first location and then maybe you have the second. What's the benefit for people who work with you guys? Yeah, well, we, so we manage all these offices, right? We're a flexible office company. What we offer to customers is that they can take space flexibly and that we'll do everything for them. So if you're some company, for example, in Berlin, we have Daimler. Daimler has about 100 people, some innovation unit. Uh, they don't know how long, how big, how will it develop. And so they call us, we give them a space, we have a building in a good part of town and we give them a floor, we design it, build it, manage it, everything for them. They pay only one price, they don't have to have lots of different people working for them. And they can agree to stay there for a few years. But if after one year they need more space, that is what we're there for. We're there working and adding more space to our portfolio. We have some things already, there's some things we can go find. And the reverse, if they want to give back some space, well, we're working with many different customers, we can bring some of them in. So for the customer, it's easy to understand uh, what their benefit is. But even for the owner, we do so much for the customer that they actually prefer to work in a building where Notel is there. And then their alternative is, oh, do I find a building, do a lease with this owner for many years, negotiate, have lawyers? It's hard. And as a result, owners make less money when they do uh, business on their own. 
uh, and wait for customers to do everything. If they put Notel there, owners are making more money, but without having to do more work. We really just work with the biggest companies in the world. And the opportunity you see there is bigger scale or like bigger, bigger companies, revenue? Bigger companies are the whole office market. I mean, for entrepreneurs like me, sometimes you, you think, oh, well, everybody works in a startup. Then the world is mostly startups. And then if you stop for but a it's second, not. you look out the window, walk around the big neighborhoods. There are whole buildings where there's one company's name on the top of that building. Right, right. Tens of thousands of people are in right. that building. Mm-hmm. That's all the startups in Berlin, probably. They could fit in one building. And then there's another Which is sad. Buildings. Which is sad, really. <laughs> the same is true in New York. I mean, if you add up all of the startups in America, all the Series A, Series B, Series C, you probably have fewer people than one large company. I mean, Microsoft has two or 300,000 employees. How many startups of 100 is that? That's 2,000. Do, do you think this crisis we are in you know, leads to more clarity around this, all this myth around the genius founder because everybody struggles and it's pretty obvious right now? <laughs> I don't know. I think people like believing stories. Uh, I think some things never change. Um, but I I at least can say it's, it's always hard. And, and this is very hard. But, you know... If you take the lessons of those who came before you and 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 you're you hang in there and, and you're you're clever, um, you can survive. And and those who survive end up being very very strong. That's been true in every one of these. Uh, if you just get through it, you can have a a, tr- a tremendous business. What did you learn during all these crises uh, that probably other entrepreneurs in the audience can learn and can apply right now? Uh, they they go longer than you think, and they're more complex than you think. Um, when it was the dot com crash, or whether it was nine eleven, or uh, September two thousand eight, uh, they had many unpredictable consequences all throughout the economy and the world. It's not so easy to just look at oh, I got a lot of sales today, therefore everything's fine. Many other factors are working. And some of them only show themselves a little later, a month later or six months later. Uh, I remember when we were doing uh, the smartphone business, uh, we were working with uh, telecom companies, huge companies, T-Mobile, with huge retailers like Walmart and Target in the U.S. And even these guys were in big trouble. And they started acting really strange all throughout the ecosystem Things that you thought were true uh, suddenly go backwards. And that's part of why we have been so aggressive and so conservative in our uh, planning. We have just changed everything overnight at Notel because you can't assume anything will still be true. You may have a contract for a million dollars with a customer, and maybe they even gave you the payment today, but you have no idea what will happen uh, in a month. There are these moments of great uncertainty and, and it's unexpected where your surprises will come from. What are your greatest hopes right now? And how do you plan for the time after Corona? What what do you think is going to change? (laughs) It's going to be so different. I just don't even know what to hope for. I mean, I, you know, I want to go to Oktoberfest. I want to go uh, (laughs) to Tokyo. And uh, I just don't know if Oktoberfest will ever be the same, you know? And if Oktoberfest won't be the same, then can anything be the same? And so I don't know what exactly to look forward to, except that there will be something. I just, since it's all going to be so different, it's hard to get too uh, emotionally 
connected to it uh, because it will be different. That's that's one way, and that in that way, it's different than all the ones that came before. Um, because the thing that that I, I just love so much, and I think many of us, uh, it's just about being together with other people. That that is suddenly a question. Um, it'll be very strange. Coming to the very last part of this interview, it's our either-or question game. I give you two words. You have to choose one and explain really quick why uh, you made this choice. And obviously, I start with bits or pretzels. <laughs> bits, because I can use them. Because we can share some bits even now when we're not together. <laughs> Renting or buying? Renting, I think, these days. But soon it will be buying, I think, in another few months. Follow or lead? Always lead. It's my nature. <laughs> Conquer or compromise? Well, I think that's connected to your previous question. I think Conquer is how you open new territory. Dreamer or realist? Uh, I guess I'm a dreamer. I wouldn't be in this business otherwise. Chaos or order? Uh, well, chaos. I mean, we just spent an hour talking about chaos, and this is my element. Talking or listening? Uh, surprisingly, I just love to listen. I mean, people ask me so much, but in the other 23 hours of the day, I'm listening. Amal, um, thanks for coming on the Bits and Petals podcast. Thank you. It's really fun to talk with you. All right. That was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please let us know how we do and write to us at podcast at bitsandpretzels.com. Don't miss the next episode of this podcast and subscribe to our media newsletter at bitsandpretzels.com slash media sign up. Again, that's bitsandpretzels.com slash media sign up. Stay safe and see you next Wednesday. Bits and Pretzels.